0: Podcast has bad words. <laughs> Hello, simpletons. What's up, y'all? Hello, patrons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about well, we're going to talk about a lot of things. I figure we start with this article or little segment called "More About Less." This is an article from Psychology Today. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. The title is "Is It Hoarding, Collecting, or Archiving? Keep, Toss." That's the end of the, uh, the title there. That mm. seemed a bit superfluous to mm. me. I might have tossed that part of the title. Yeah, it's Gina. Ke- keep toss? Do you surround yourself with stuff to make yourself feel real? or, quote, material? That's a fascinating question. So the key points of the article are here on the first page. I'm going to read through these. Maybe we can use them as key talking points here, Ryan. And then we could talk about our own understanding of hoarding versus collecting. And I like this third word that you and I rarely talk about in terms of archiving. Yeah. And I think that there might be some subtle nuances, although I think most people tend to use those last two interchangeably. I think we can make some distinctions yeah. if, if it's useful. Yeah, man, let's get into it. Here are some key points. It's hard to accept that stuff we treasure is not valuable to others. Let's pause on that for a second. Mm. Why is that hard to accept? Mm. Why do I care? I, I can tell you why, but for the longest time, it's, okay, let's say that I'm holding on. I have a valuable watch, right? But it's valuable only to me. Mm. Now, the problem I might have with it is I might want to resell it at some point, And then, of course, it's worth nothing, and therefore, I can't sell it. But Mm. that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, oh, I get my self-worth if other people don't also think this is valuable. Oh, man. Yeah, I get, I mean, aren't we all
1: a little caught up in that? I mean, I I, I think I move further and further away from it. But, yeah, I mean, anything, anything that I had, especially, you know, my mm mid-20s, it was, there were two questions, like, how do I feel about this? But how do other people feel about this? And generally, that second question was the first question that yeah, you right. were most concerned about, 100%. right? It makes me think about um, Anthony O'Neill's story about the Gucci bag. Yeah. And how, uh, so the long story short is he got this Gucci bag. Thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. He could afford it. Didn't put it on a credit card. Um, you know, he 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 was like, hey, I want this Gucci bag. It's going to serve a purpose. It's mm-hmm. going to bring me joy and I can afford it. So he went and got it. And he's like walking around his, the office with the Gucci bag. And people are like, hey, man, you're looking good. Yeah, nice Gucci bag. Like, was getting all the compliments. Yeah. And then he realized, like, really why he bought that Gucci bag was for other people's approval. So he could get those compliments. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he ended up returning it, which I thought was, like, a pretty big move. But... I mean it's even Anthony O'Neill falls into that trap.
0: Yeah. 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 And so I, I hesitate when most people do. It's just like when we say most people are moving to cities. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> it's a fact, right? Right. And, and yet it doesn't mean that you have to move to a city. In right. fact, there are some people moving from cities to the to urban to, to suburban or to rural areas. Mm-hmm. There's not a mass exodus to rural areas. In fact, the opposite across the world is true. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not Oh, even close. that's
1: wild. Yeah, cuz I thought during the pandemic like everyone was leaving the big cities and going to rural areas. Now, I'm
0: talking about the larger trend in general. Oh, so, okay. I'll give you an example. Gotcha. China yes. is the most staggering example of this. So, 16% of people in China lived in cities in 1960. Mm-hmm. That number is over 60% now. Okay. And we're only what 60 years later. Talk about a giant migration in the cities. No one lived in cities. Right. Now everyone there is living in cities. There's a reason if you look at the top 10 most populous cities right now, many of them won't even be in the top 50, 50 years from now. Wow. Uh, There are cities like Kabul, for example, Mm. in Afghanistan, which Mm. I think has what, 3 million people in it now, by 2050 will be one of the 10 largest cities in the world. Wow, And there are a lot of videos on this. One of my favorite ones is from uh, this channel called B1M. It talks about, uh, I think it's the most populous cities at 2050 or 20, what, 2100. Either way, Sean will put a link to the, that video in the show notes. It's really illuminating. But what it illuminates for me is also another possibility. Mm-hmm. If everyone zigs, you can zag. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Ryan, you're right, factually right, in, in the sense that, yes, we... Human beings tend, well, not even human beings, let me take that back. people, uh, societal right. people, right, tend to buy things be, for external validation. Well, why? Because we've told ourselves this story that I need your acceptance, yeah. that oh, I need your love even mm. what a what an insidious lie. Or maybe we're getting
1: acceptance confused for love.
0: Yes, yeah, or maybe yes, and're and, we're, and ad- additionally, we're getting I need love. We're confusing that with an actual need to love. Mm. Dude, this is just the first line of this article, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to dive deep here, y'all. Can't wait to hear the second line. (laughs) Gina goes on to write, not everyone sees the same potential or same uselessness in an item. Well, that's true. The thing, So we can take away the sentiment, the emotion, all that for now. We'll get to that for sure because that is what's leading to hoarding let's talk about usefulness. By the way, we're talking about collecting. We're talking about hoarding. There is not a utilitarian aspect to either one of those. And I think this is where I would add an archiving has a utilitarian aspect. Yeah. When, when you, you know, I think about the Library of Congress is an archive, yeah. right? They or have a museum. Of, yes. Yeah. And yeah. museum has both functions in a way, mm-hmm. but, um, they they are an archiver of art, but they also have a collection of art to display. Mm-hmm. And, and um, the the usefulness of the archiving is is so that we have a record of the past in a way. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, and, and, and so Library Congress
1: is a much better example because they literally like hoard information.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they archive it. They don't hoard yeah. it. And maybe that's what I would uh, uh, so. They they find the things that are truly useful to because they don't keep every photo, no? Oh, no. Okay, I know they keep every tweet. Yes, yeah. yeah. They, they they found that the having that as a record, right, yeah. is is going to be important. I think the reason that that is important to them is there's a recognition that Twitter is not. I mean, in our in our brains, we look at us it, like, oh, this is going to just go on forever. But mm-hmm. a decade from now, two decades from now, five decades from now, yeah, we might talk about Twitter but it'll be, be through the archives of Twitter.
1: It's kind of like MySpace.
0: Yes, <laughs> which doesn't have an archive, and so that is sort of lost. Gone, yeah. But guess what? That's okay. Yeah. yeah. Because on a long enough timeline, it's all gone. In
1: a half a billion years, the sun's going to burn out. Yes. I mean.
0: <laughs> and just a hundred years from now, we wrote about this in Love People Use Things uh, toward the end, a hundred years from now, the entire world will be filled with new human beings. Mm. And... Yes, we're not. We might live on in their you know, memories or whatever. But the Woody Allen line is one of my favorites. When he said, "I don't want to live on in people's hearts and minds. I want to live on in my apartment."
1: <laughs> Such a good line.
0: And unfortunately, the hoarding and sometimes the collecting, mm-hmm. which is just well-planned hoarding, mm. in many cases, yeah, we can make that distinction. This
1: it's, isn't a judgment, by the way. No, I, I want to be very this clear. Is. This is this is just we're just yeah.
0: Let's not get caught up on the definitions well, here either. Well, yeah,
1: because someone who has a collection of whatever, they're gonna like defend their collection, and if your collection means that much to you, then keep like you know keep your collection. This is just yeah. I don't care if you have
0: a collection. Yeah. Why no, do I care? Right. And and so what I want to illuminate here today is what is the truth? Well, quite often we use yeah. softer words to hide the things that we're actually ashamed of.
1: Yeah. So like collection. Might I? agree. It's it's hoarding, uh-huh. but it's like a more deliberate <laughs> type of hoarding.
0: So let's talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So so I, I, when I think of hoarding, hoarding is unintentional, right? Yes. And and no one says I'm going to become a hoarder. In fact, no one identifies. As a hoarder, until they have a realization that they're hoarding. Yeah. The guy I talked about in the minimal episode, who came up to me on the street and asked me for two DVDs, <laughs> so that they would help him with his hoard. Yeah. He. Oh man, just the irony of that sentence is, yeah, yeah. is is staggering, right? Because I see myself in him. Yeah. I was looking for, you know, what things do I buy from the container store, in order to fix my hoard. Yeah. Well, no, 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 that's not the problem. My problem was not a lack of bins. Now, at some point, those things can be useful, right? But sometimes they actually are useful in a way that makes the problem worse. We use them, and they make us feel good in the moment. Mm. They cover up a symptom. Mm Mm-hmm. That symptom continues, right? It's like if you have this giant wound on your arm and you keep putting band-aids on it, that might really help you until you get to the hospital. Mm-hmm. But if that's if you oh, it's taken care of now. I put a band-aid on it. I'm like, Ryan, you're that's like a giant gash. Yeah, you have someone look at that. And then I got the band-aid. It's it's fine now. Yeah. But the container store, this is why we're gonna get into this in a moment. Might as well talk about it now. It relates to this article perfectly. Yeah. Why doesn't tidying up work? Mm. Because your problem isn't a lack of tidiness. Tidiness is the byproduct of simplifying your life or it's a byproduct of organizing your life. The organizing creates a hoard Mm -hmm. or even when it's done really well, creates a collection. Now, there are two types of collections. There's one that's actually just a hoard that you're calling a collection Mm. and it's creating some sort of discontent in your life. Yeah. now we were at Dave Ramsey's house last week he had a huge bourbon collection in his basement <laughs> yes he did and that added value to his life because what he did is he brought people down to the, he brought us down to the basement I mean podcast Sean is still on cloud nine several days later yeah from the experience that we had down there mm-hmm. and you know I'm, I don't drink I don't smoke cigars but I spent some time down there with y'all so so did my wife and your wife and yeah. uh Jordan uh Jordan no more was down there yeah and um we had some conversations and and they augmented those conversations and so were they necessary were they essential items yeah of course they weren't essential items no but they also weren't junk for him now here's the distinction and I, this is this is spot on what this article says not everyone sees the same potential or the same usefulness or uselessness in an item so if I had Dave Ramsey's bourbon collection in my basement, first off, I'd have to get a basement. <laughs> right. Uh, step s- one, get a basement. <laughs> yeah, step two, <laughs> fill it with bourbon <laughs> and cigars. And here, here's the thing. I, that would be useless for me. Right. I don't drink. I don't smoke cigars. I don't mm-hmm. smoke cigarettes. I don't smoke yeah, anything. I don't smoke at all. And so um, that's useless to me. But as soon as I turn that into a prescription... Those things are useless. Mm. That's when I'm casting a judgment. Yeah. And so when you say, Ryan, we're not judging other people, what we're saying is we're making some observations about what is applicable to our lives, what we've seen be applicable to other people. And even for someone like you, who will occasionally enjoy a bourbon or, or whatever. Yeah. If you had that in your basement, it, it wouldn't oh. it wouldn't have the same utility as no. it does for someone like Dave Ramsey, who is caught entertaining people all the time in his beautiful home, right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I know. Just what you just said made me think about how I, I thought, you know, man, eventually we're going to go back to Nashville. And I was like, if we do, I'd love to go to Dave Ramsey's again, you know. You turned into
0: a chase accidentally. No, let me finish.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> I was like, I'd love to go to Dave Ramsey's again because I enjoy hanging out with Dave. We had some amazing food. Like he brought in a chef and um, man, they were like so accommodating with the dietary restrictions. I feel so bad for you and Mariah. Cause like, man, I just, uh, yeah, I'm just, I feel so lucky. I can eat anything I want. Sorry. I'm going on a tangent now. But then I thought about, oh, we could do this again. We could do this, you know, this, this bourbon and, and, and this cigar experience again, cause it truly is like a once in a lifetime type experience, but that's exactly it. And that's what I saw it for. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, you know what? Yeah. If I do this again, a am not going to have as much enjoyment uh, as I had the first time. And then it starts to be a chase mm-hmm. and it's less about the experience. And it's more about just chasing that once in a lifetime experience. Well, you can have only, uh, once in a lifetime experience. Once, that's yes. why it's called a once in a lifetime experience. Amen. So no, I did not turn it into a chase. Um, no, but
0: for a moment, it, it, it we all do this it, mm-hmm. it, to some extent. And what you did is you caught yourself because we all, especially you being the Enneagram Seven, we'll talk about that as well. Yeah, and it, you imbibe on life. I think is what Ian Cron said when we did his his podcast together, and so. It's understandable, but to some extent, we all have some of that enthusiast in us, that number seven yeah. on the Enneagram, and and we all, we enjoy something, and then we say, because I enjoyed that, I need to replicate it, mm. and it's most pernicious, it's called chasing the dragon, right? And yeah. It's, it refers to opioids or heroin right. addiction, right? And, and it's, you get that thing, and here's the thing about that, is you actually do enjoy it. But then we turn that joy into a pleasure chase. Pleasure can never be joy, but joy can be pleasure. And that's why we get confused. Mm, yeah, and, I love and, that. And so um, it's beautiful. And by the way, when I, when I say turning something into a chase, as soon as I say that, people will hear, but that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that either. I'm simply saying that understanding That pleasure may even get in the way of your joy, or Mm -hmm. the chase of the pleasure might get in the way of your joy. That the seeking of happiness is what's making you miserable. Mm -hmm. If you can understand that viscerally, Mm -hmm. and it sounds to me like you got to that place this week because it was like, oh yeah, I'm enjoying this right now. I saw Sean enjoying it. In fact, Jordan took a clandestine video while we were there of (laughs) just the... um, the, the sort of bourbon cabinet everything there and there's this the Sean is just looking up at it in awe and sort of shaking his head. Yeah. However, because there is this moment where you're really enjoying that moment, right? But if you stayed stuck in that in perpetuity, it becomes hell for you at some point. Yeah, on, on a long enough timeline. Yeah, that joy turns into something else. It goes back to that Confucius thing I was talking about in the minimal episode, in uh, the 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 um, the man who is connected to happiness is constantly changing. Mm. You know, the quote is roughly that yeah. translated, and 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 when you think about it that way, because if you. There was a, a happiness there, a joy, whatever you want to call it, whatever word, definition you want to use, yeah. it's really about that feeling, the experience that you had and the immersion of the moment, but you stay emerge, uh, emerged in that, mm-hmm. in perpetuity, then you're not changing. And as soon as you're not yeah. changing, you start to die inside.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, something to point out here too is, you know, the collection he has, it's really useful for him because he hosts so many people and he talks to so many, to, he has such a large network of people that he associates with that, like he can, he has the ability mm-hmm. to create this once in a lifetime experience for others. And what an awesome gift that he gives people that he gave us that night. Yes. But yeah, if you had it, it's, it would be hell for you because you don't drink bourbon or smoke cigars, Right. If I had it, I, I don't have that big of a network if, if for as many friends as I have. I can't justify having that collection. To uh, you know, hand out these once in a lifetime experiences for others. So,
0: and that's exactly what he's doing. I love the way you said it. He's handing out mm. once in a lifetime experiences to people. Yeah, what a beautiful thing to aspire toward, for lack of a better word. But what a beautiful thing to do, right? Yeah. To to create ex- once in a lifetime experiences for other people. Yeah. Because in there, you know, we, we were sitting around for a while. I mean, we were there late, late, late into the evening after dinner and and um you know, he had a bunch of guests over for dinner as well and uh some people from his company and, and uh you know, they have a thousand people at their company. He brought you know, three or four people over, including his daughter and, and her husband, uh Rachel and, and Winston and we're just enjoying the time together and then we end up in, in the basement together where we're having some uh, some conversations. And then it turns toward politics. And you realize even someone who is considered to have this one political view mm-hmm. uh, because he gets uh, sort of, he, he's turned in because he's so like famous and in that famous in, in the AM talk radio world, mm-hmm. there's a political bent that tends to be conservative. And he sure. admits that he, he skews conservative. Yeah. He, there's no hiding that, mm-hmm. right? And so like while his beliefs might be different from yours, or from other people we're, were with, and, and from mine. What you realize, oh no, no, but some of his nuances, oh, you think about some of these things the same exact way I, I think about these things. Yeah. Wow, I I never would have thought that. Yeah. It was a beautiful experience, and he created that by setting up the environment. Mm-hmm. So these, in a way, the, these things that he had. Which, by the way, we're all consumables in a way, which is maybe another way to think about creating once-in-a-lifetime experience. What enhances the experience? Yeah. And, and it, part of it, not all consumables, because he had the furniture down there, and, and we're seated in chairs, and we're, there are rugs beneath us. And, 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 and so like uh, there's, you know, part of the home is part of the experience there. But even he is recognized in the houses he, he was, he's in right now. He talked about this on air when we did the interview with him on the Dave Ramsey show. He, um, he said he, he and his wife found a lot of value in that big house, they, beautiful house they built, right? Yeah. And they're no longer finding that same value. So they decided they've sold the house.
1: Yeah, he called it a season, which I loved. Mm. He was like, Yeah, we are like, we had the season with the house and the season is ending. It has ended and we have to go on to the next season.
0: And so he's practicing letting go because he's no longer clinging, because the house, he's not clinging to the house because he's not clinging to the season anymore. Right. He's moving forward, not staring at the rear view. Yeah. And it illuminated a lot for me that night because – Yes, I know the media creates this 2D image of Dave Ramsey. My God, we found out about it when we put him in our last documentary. And, oh, yeah, wow. And the seagulls come in, and they, they have their way with their yeah. uh, uh, toxic output. And, um, and you realize, like, oh, you're painting a picture... You're painting a caricature, mm-hmm. but that's not what he looks like. He doesn't look like the... If You, you remember when you were a kid and you like go to the fair or something and they would have you know, a dollar for a caricature or whatever? Yeah. And they would draw a caricature of you. Well, what do they do? They... Ex- exaggerate everything. Yes. Yeah. Especially your most intense features. So someone like yeah. you, I mean, you already have a a very chiseled jawline, but if I draw a caricature of you, mm-hmm. your jawline is going to be so pronounced, it's going to be what was the family dad American dad whatever that was. <laughs> yeah, you remember yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be that, right? And, and and your hair is going to be even more flowing, right? Your right. eyes are going to be piercing blue, mm-hmm. and, and, and so you're going to have all of these features exaggerated, but you can also f- exaggerate the things that um, that you see in someone as flaws, mm-hmm. right? They're not actual flaws necessarily, mm-hmm. but if you paint them or, or draw them in a way that make them look like flaws then, um, of course, you're, you're, you're painting your own narrative. And yeah. so I found a lot of the criticism about him, especially after getting to know him, was criticism about their idea of him, mm, yeah, not of him.
1: Well, what they do is they take these, these one-offs, right? And then, and I'm not, I'm not even going to sit here and say what the one-offs are, because uh, honestly, I can't remember too much. But they make Ramsey that, oh, he did this one thing, so now he's that person. And that is, we've, we've got to get away from that. Like if we're going to, you know, unite, if we're, if we're going to like start coming together as a people, not just the United States, but you know, all over the world, like we have to stop looking at one thing that someone did and saying like, well, you are that person. Um, but yeah, you're right. And, but people love to, that's what they love to do. Well, especially social media, man, it's just It's a fake world anyway. It's just it's it's a megaphone, and when someone feels like they have something to shout into the megaphone, they typically don't hesitate to shout it.
0: And it's often hysterical as well. Meaning we we can get worked up about something in our minds.
1: You're not talking about funny, right?
0: No, no. So in fact, you're talking about
1: hysteria. Yes, we
0: we often overuse that word. Um, Any uh, ecstatic pleasures that we get, we 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 we, you know we, we say like if a comedian really makes you laugh when he say, Oh, it absolutely killed me. It slayed me. Right. Right. Yeah. Hysterical doesn't mean laughter. We've used it now as a colloquialism for laughter, Mm -hmm. but as you just said, it, it means hysteria. Yeah. And and so we can get worked up over something. And then as soon as we get worked up by it, we have this amplifier of our own internal hysteria Mm. and the, the amplifier it doesn't work in the real world because when someone gets really worked up in person they look a little bit absurd when they get worked up online they look like everybody else online
1: well you know what it is it's like when you're all worked up in front of someone you don't you you don't have time to polish your hysteria <laughs> you just come across as hysterical right uh where on in twitter it's like you have the time to like polish exactly what you're going to say in those you know 240 or however many characters it is on twitter um so it seems like it has significance but really
0: all it is it's just a a well polished piece of garbage mm. <laughs> yes yes yeah. so let's get back into this article a bit here this is the second bullet point if you give yourself a mantra in order to keep items such as it's practically brand new. Or they don't make these anymore. Mm. Consider why you're giving yourself that mantra. Yeah, I think that's about the narratives that we tell ourselves, right? So mm-hmm. these things, the, the first one that you and I ever recognized was the just in case thing, right? Yeah. And so we've talked about that. We have the just in case rule. You can find it in, uh, on our website or in Love People Use Things, there's an attenuated version of it in the book. And what I've realized is that was simply a narrative that I told myself, I'm going to hold on to this just in case. Here are a few more narratives. It's practically brand new. Mm. What does that have to do with anything? Right. Right? Who cares if it's brand new? Yeah. If I'm not using it, if it's not serving a purpose, well, what am I doing? I'm hoarding it now, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not collecting it. I'm not archiving it, mm-hmm. which you might use those words to soften the horde, and I still want to get to maybe distinguishing those. And and I'm trying; I'm starting to change my understanding around collecting as we're having this conversation. Even, yeah. mm-hmm. but they don't make these anymore. So what? There's an infinite number of things they don't make anymore. Do you want all of those too? Yeah. And so I go back to the spontaneous combustion rule. If that widget, that They don't make anymore, or is practically brand new. So what? But if it were to spontaneously combust, would you want to replace it? Would you seek it out? Mm -hmm. Would you actually go out to the store, make the trip just for that item? Mm. Or would you feel a little bit of relief? And if you'd feel a little bit of relief, then it doesn't matter what these other mantras are. Are there maybe more empowering mantras as in, yes, I understand it's brand new. But I'm still not going to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Or maybe you could even get more strong. You know what? This thing's useless to me. You tell yourself that, it's a lot harder to cling to it, right? Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Man, I really want Elizabeth, from the Minimal episode, mm-hmm. I want her to ask herself, like, how would she feel if those books spontaneously combusted? I, I bet you there would be some relief. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean... We just, this is, I mean, what we're talking specifically is about self-talk and it matters. It matters what you tell yourself. Yeah. But the, the cool part is, is like once you realize what you're telling yourself doesn't serve you, you can start to pick and choose what you want to start telling yourself.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you are telling, you're choosing to tell yourself this right now, mm-hmm. whatever you're telling, by the way, telling yourself, these are just thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. The thoughts are the the root of every psychological problem you have. There are two types of suffering, right? There's physical suffering and there's psychological suffering. They can be intertwined. They often are intertwined. Mm -hmm. If you have, you know, if I cut Ryan's foot off, Mm -hmm. he's going to have both physical suffering. It's going to lead to some psychological suffering as well. But really, all of our ruminating, all these other things, it has nothing to do with the physical trauma in our life. It's a mental trauma, that we're recreating and we're adding to Mm. every moment of every day with our thoughts when you can simply change your thoughts by thinking differently. Mm. The third point here is, do your material possessions make you feel more valuable and more material yourself? Do possessions make you feel worthy? Are these useful responses? So the answer to that is no, they're not useful. This is the thing that I got caught up in more than anything else Hmm. is they made me feel worthy or worse. They made me think I felt worth or would be worthy. Yeah. The significance thing. So when we were in Nashville, we also stopped by Ian Cron's house. He is sort of the foremost expert on the Enneagram, which is a personality assessment test and there are nine different types. It's sort of based off of the seven deadly sins plus two others. That's a very rudimentary explanation of it. And um, it it's weird because it's probably been around for many hundreds of years, maybe even back to like early you know 500 AD. You know, there, there's there's but. It really became in vogue just a few years ago. Again, yeah, it sort of peaked its head out in the seventies. Apparently, we were talking to our friend Adam Dressler about this, who is very familiar with it, and um, he was telling us some of the origins of of the test and and how it has manifested differently in, in culture recently. And what was so fascinating about it? We were in Ian Cron's home. He's written several books about typology his top his podcast is called typology as well so that interview that we did with him will be out really soon it's the first time i've ever seen you tear up in an interview ryan oh dude it was brutal well he just got to a place i didn't even know there was a place to get
1: to you know but the the enneagram it's crazy because before that interview i didn't really hold much weight with it meaning i accept it and i understand you know i understand what it's trying to do but i looked at it kind of how i look at the myers-briggs it's like a it's a guide of like, oh, okay, here's the box, the best box that you fit in. Out of all these boxes we have, mm-hmm. here's the best box. The, what is it, uh, the Myers-Briggs? It's like uh, 16 different types, maybe? That's correct. Yeah. So it's like, here are 16 boxes. Let's let's talk about the box that you fit in the most. And that's how I looked at the Enneagram. But what the Enneagram does is it just takes you a little bit deeper. So, you know, there, there's nine different types we all have. Uh, you know, we, we have all nine types in each and every one of us. The Enneagram yep. just says, hey, here's the type that shows up for you the most. Mm-hmm. And where he was able to get with uh, with me was really some childhood stuff. So the seven is someone who... You're a seven, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I'm a seven. And the seven is someone... You're a ten in my book, Ryan. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> uh, the seven is someone who is a glutton for life. Yeah, So it could actually mean... Overeating, uh, but really, what it means is you give me the fire hose of life and like shove it in my face, and I will like try to swallow as
0: much water as I can from that hose. So the kind way of to say that is enthusiast. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the, that is much kinder. Yeah, and, and so the, they—that's what the the type is called. Mm-hmm. At at his or her best, the type seven is the enthusiast, right? Yeah. At his or her worst, the type seven is overindulgent. Yeah. Yeah. So, or gluttonous, that's one of those, the seven deadly sins. Yeah. He yeah.
1: made, he made me think about like, um, just as a kid, like the playtime never lasted long enough. I was an only child. So like, I didn't have a lot of friends to hang out with, but I always felt like I never had enough time with my friends. I just remember asking to go to, uh, like I had a friend, Tommy, can we go to Tommy's? Can we go to Tommy's? I, I, I can't even count how many times I've asked my parents to go to Tommy's and we'd go in hindsight. We want plenty. But like at the time, I was like, oh, I don't see Tommy enough. I don't, I don't see his brother. I don't see Jeff enough. And uh, uh, yeah, just I was telling Mariah. Actually, she dropped me off today, and I was telling her about how um, I never could get enough TV as a kid, and. I probably did get plenty of TV, but like on Saturday mornings, you know, Jehovah's witnesses go knocking on doors. So I couldn't watch Saturday morning cartoons. Mm. And back in the eighties, that's the only time you get to watch cartoons. That's right. So sometimes I would get lucky and like mom would like spark up a conversation with, uh, you know, somebody's, uh, with a homeowner, somebody's door she knocked on and the homeowner would be like, Oh, would your son like to watch some cartoons while we talk? And I'm like, yeah, like it was just like this huge, like dopamine rush. Oh wow. But, um, but yeah, th- what he said to me—can
0: I pause on that for a moment sure, to acknowledge the how deprived you were of that in a way, and and it's it's really unfortunate because I I remember Saturday mornings. Here's what I used to do: my mom mm-hmm. would when she was sober, she wor- even when she wasn't sober, she worked throughout the week. Mm-hmm. She was—I uh, mean, depending on what she did, she worked at a bakery for a while. She was a secretary for a while, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And she had to get up early every Monday, every day, Monday through Friday, especially when she had her bakery job. She had to get up at like 3 a.m. and go bake at Kroger.
1: Got to make the donuts. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so Saturday mornings, I would, you know, I've always been an early riser. i get up at 5 a.m. on yeah. Saturdays. I Go watch morning cartoons. But I woke her up every Saturday morning. Mom, let's go watch morning cartoons. Aww. And she fucking did it every. Every Saturday, man, rub it in. Having a good mom, <laughs>
1: my mom, my mom is actually awesome. It's funny because I know I, I talk a lot about her, but it's amazing like how far her and I have come over the last few years.
0: Well, uh, and, she's and coming so to visit soon. I can't wait. I just <clears throat> want to acknowledge that you know, what you're what you're finding here is that yes, maybe there was a type of unintentional deprivation that your parents did to you that led you to being the more of the enthusiast, more of the type seven.
1: Yeah. So where where he really got me, like choking up, is he said something. Help, help me remember this better if I, if I'm saying it wrong. But he said something about you probably never felt like you were supported enough. You probably felt like you never had support, and it was just like, oh wow, like he got that from my enneagram.
0: Mm-hmm. And and also just a, a subtle interaction with you before we probably spent twenty minutes with him before the yeah the interview started. And he, you, you said something really nice about him and what he was able to do that no one else could do. Yeah.
1: So when he, yeah. So I'll, I'll get to that in a second. So like it, he said that, and all of a sudden I just got this picture of like this little kid, you know, it was like his shoulders kind of hunched over and like his little hands together and like his head down and like you know, like just like begging for someone to pick him up, but like, you know, but he, he doesn't know how to ask to be picked up, and and that's. That's why I got choked up because I, I just didn't know what I didn't know at the time. Like I didn't know to ask for more support or or whatever it was. And yeah, it just brought me back to my childhood and how, and it's funny because now I feel supported. I'm not, and maybe I'm so supported that I don't have the fear of not being supported now, which is kind of strange. But that, that, I I mean, that is probably one of the fears of mine if I dug deep. So what Ian was able to do though, what I told him when we left is I, I was like, Ian, like I'm a feels guy. Like I, 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 you know, I love exploring all the emotions and and all of that. And it's pretty easy for me to get to that state of, um, compassion. Uh, I'll just say that like, it's very easy for me to get to the state of compassion. And what Ian was able to do is he was able to drop me into my heart and drop me into that state of compassion with, with a six second question and, and 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 I use compassion specifically because what I had like when I started to like choke up it was uh compassion for that little kid Mm. and it's so easy for us to like show other kids compassion you know I see Ella all the time and I'm just like you know I just she's eight she's a growing girl I you know I see that you know the uh the things that 8-year-olds go through the roller coaster of emotions of excitement and sadness and anger and you know i just look at her i'm like oh sweet little ella like you know she's just you just got to love her right mm-hmm. but we we don't look at that at ourselves we don't look at the 8-year-old version of ourselves and he was able to like get me there looking at you know this this young child looking at him with compassion and i just have never been able to get to that like intellectually i would understand it but emotionally uh yeah, he got me to that city compassion pretty quickly. It was a great interview. I uh yeah, I'm looking forward to listening
0: to it. Yeah, same. Um it it brought out some things with me because I'm a type three, right, which is the achiever. Mm. And the at his or her best, the achiever sort of gets things done, accomplishes things, mm-hmm. et cetera, right? Yeah, recognition and Well, and at his or her worst, mm-hmm. right? It goes back to this bullet point that we were reading here. The possessions make you feel worthy. Oh yeah. And and so the praise would make you feel worthy, which y- is yeah. Yeah, the, the 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 praise either from look at the nice car that you have. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a wonderful necktie that you purchased for $110 mm-hmm. for one tie. Oh, I'll never forget, someone came up to me, they're like, Are
1: those Allen Edmonds? And they were so impressed with my Allen
0: Edmonds. Your shoes, yeah. 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 And and it, when we start to it's fine to accept a compliment like that and and smile. From but when we start to need that, or when we set out, that's the end goal of the shoes. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, it's ruined the whole thing. Yeah, it's ruined the niceness of your shoes mm-hmm. because you didn't get the shoes because they're nice. You got them because he or she thinks they're nice. Oh yeah. And at his or her worst, the type three, and he uncovered this in the interview. As well, and so I won't spoil the whole thing. But really, it's a lot about significance, and, and the Type Three is really afraid that there is no, there is no me. It's all sort of an amalgamation of facades in yeah. a way, and the appearance of at his or her worst, the appearance of success mm-hmm. is more important than sort of the intrinsic success. So when I talk about how success is failure, mm-hmm. that's me ideally at my best looking at the absurdity of the the, being a type three and trying to get my own self-worth from accomplishments and from what other people think from their appraisal from their approval from the even from their love Mm. getting needing someone else's love is also not loving yeah in fact that's a type of clinging and quite often, unfortunately, when we talk about love, we're talking about attachment in our society. And attachment is something that blocks our love. And and it's not a good or bad thing. As soon as I say it, I, I get it. Because even in my mind, I, I go toward one or the other. Mm-hmm. The binaries are the problem here. We talked about that a moment ago with Dave Ramsey. We are at his house. And it was like, people create a binary. You're either mm-hmm. conservative or liberal, right? And there you are. You belong in this box, mm-hmm. right? But what you're talking about with the Enneagram is, first off, it's not a binary. There are nine different things here. But also that you're all of these things. <gasps> Wait a minute. Yeah. So I'm not just a seven? No, 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 no. This has helped me identify when I approach the world as the worst version of myself, Mm. this is what it looks like. Yeah. And as soon as I understand what it looks like, it's almost like the, the mirage beginning to fade in the distance. Yeah. And so I can show up. As the best version of myself.
1: Dude, Ian, like, man, he, did, he ripped this open on his podcast. It was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. One last bullet point here, and then we'll let you read the article. There'll be a link to it in the show notes. If tangible objects help secure intangible memories and emotions, must we keep ourselves surrounded by them to keep the past safe? Ooh. That's another disempowering question Isn't that we ask ourselves. A fancy way
1: to say sentiment.
0: <laughs> 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 yes so yeah in fact that might be one of the birthplaces the origin stories of sentiment right yeah. some questions like this questions are really powerful it's the reason in love people use things you end every chapter with five curated questions and mm. you could have asked 100 questions at the end of each chapter But there's a reason there's five there right mm-hmm. I think when we first did it, it was like write down 15 or 20 questions and then we would whittle this down. We would curate it because, well, we didn't want to have just a horde of questions that no one would find meaningful. In fact, right. if you ended every chapter with 100 questions... Mm. It, no one would find much even utility in them, right?
1: Yeah, I fought for only three questions.
0: There you go. <laughs> but yeah, I don't remember if it was me or the publisher or Sean, or right? Whoever, but whatever but, it was, yeah.
1: yeah, we 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 set it on five. But to your point, I mean, I I also recognize you give someone too many questions to ask; they're not going to ask them, themselves one question.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. Kapil Gupta will ask, um, "What do you want?" And if you don't, many people don't know the answer to that. Yeah. So if you don't know the answer to that. What are you certain that you don't want that you have right now? Mm. And what a great place to start, man. Absolutely. What you c- and then, so whatever the answer is to either one of those questions, yeah. right? Yeah. So that first one is want. And what he really means by that is like, what is your deepest desire? Yeah. What What is, can you examine that desire? And if you can, if you don't really know, if you haven't found the thing that you're passionate about or whatever, fine. What do you have in your life right now that's making you miserable? What don't you want in your life? What is... Mm. What is bringing up that misery inside you? Yeah, And then, not now the, the first question often appears after that for us, because as he says, we are smitten by prescriptions, is, okay, well then how do I get rid of those things? Or how do I get what I want? No, 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 no. The question is, why don't I already have what I want? Mm. Yeah. Why, you know, or why do I have all these things that I don't want in my life still? Yeah. That, that latter question... Like, what do you have in your life that you don't want?
1: I mean, I think that can help someone get clear on, are they hoarding? Are they collecting? Are they archiving? Yes. You know, um, it, or it goes back to, we, t- you know, I talked about in the lightning round about if your sentimentality is costing you your sanity, mm-hmm. then something has to give, something is wrong. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think these questions can help us determine. And I honestly, I don't think you can, and I don't think there even is like a clinical definition of, of the of the three different versions of these words, but it can help one decide what is in their life as far as am I hoarding, am I collecting, am I archiving? Because it's it's all going to be a personalized answer, I think.
0: Absolutely. You and that, that as we talked about with Dave Ramsey's collection, right? And so let's get specific here because I, I like what you're saying. Let's get past the definition. Let's mm-hmm. get to the, the essence of these things. Mm-hmm. How are those things? How's that collection making you feel? Yeah. And if, if it's like me, I had a collection in my home of many things. I, I collected things.
1: Yeah. Now, Magazines.
0: So, I'll never forget. Like
1: it was your magazine room. Yes. It's really what I
0: mean. It was your study, but I always looked at it like, oh, it's this magazine room. Yeah. And my magazine collection. <laughs> right. Yeah. And was it augmenting my life? Was it enhancing my life? Was it amplifying anything in my life? Well, yes, it was amplifying some misery, some discontent but it wasn't actually amplifying the things that I wanted to amplify now for someone else. In fact, um, the first love of my life, uh, Colleen McCullough, the, she's an artist, a very talented artist. And I had her on the podcast, uh, on a Patreon episode. We did a quarantine conversation with her and I talked to her. She's, she said that, um, so she's the Colleen from, um, everything that remains. And people still ask about her from, from that book. And, um, She's an artist, uh, a collage artist. Mm-hmm. So she has she uses magazines to make her art. She cuts things out of magazines. Yeah. I was just resting on my laurels, so to speak, but my laurels were useless magazines. Mm-hmm. And, and and so what a weird sort of laurel. Your accomplishment is I have a a subscription to <laughs> GQ. Am I GQ? You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Look how stylish I am according to these magazines. (laughs) Yeah, and so, yes, having that, what I called a collection at the time, Mm -hmm. was actually a hoard. Well, why? Because it amplified my discontent. Mm -hmm. And so with Dave, his collection of bourbon amplified his experiences with other people Yeah, and allowed him, as you so eloquently put, to create once-in-a-lifetime experiences for people that he loves. I will never
1: forget how Sean's how podcast Sean's eyes looked that entire <laughs> that entire night it was beautiful oh
0: he was like a kid it was awesome I had extreme compersion that night for for podcast Sean yeah and Jordan really enjoyed it as yeah. well um yeah. and so yes it was it was a wonderful night and and so great now at some point he a decide that's no longer serving him and so that collection <gasps> Can turn into a hoard. Ooh! The opposite is rarely going to be true. A hoard is not going to turn into a collection for you. But yeah,
1: well, well, <clears throat> I don't know where you were going with that. But what it made me think of was is that often I think we hoard with the hope that it turns into a collection. It never will.
0: Ooh, yeah, that's mm. good. But by letting go of the hoard, there may be pieces in there. I think about my brother-in-law Alec bought a house before he bought the house it was an auction someone had died and there was a, a basement full of stuff so an auction house came in auctioned off the things in the house mm. which actually sold for more than the house sold for because there was i think hundred and forty thousand dollars worth of christmas orna- ornaments oh wow order? yeah in, in in the basement oh. and so they had this collection but it was a hoard for them yeah. And so in a weird way, maybe your hoard, if you're willing to let go pieces yeah. of it, not the whole thing, right? But pieces of it can be a collection for someone else if they're willing to curate it appropriately.
1: Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm going to pen what I said about a hoard can never be a collection. If you're holding on to everything, if you're hoarding on to everything, that will never be a collection. But if you start to let things go deliberately, yeah, I I could see where maybe you would have a collection somewhere.
0: Maybe something could appear, but not from gaining more, only from subtracting.
1: Yeah. And here's the thing too, is like, I don't see myself as an expert on any type of collection. So for me, unless I really started doing some research, reading books, getting online, YouTube, whatever, like it would just be a hoard for me. Mm -hmm. I would never... I can never see myself being a collector because I'm just not an expert in anything. So, if you're holding onto a hoard and you're like, "Well, no, I got something good in there," if you're not an expert on
0: any of those one things, then it's just a hoard. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, who does this really well? Who are these sort of experts in that arena? Well, of course, museums. Yeah. They they do a great job with their collections, which mm-hmm. of which you see a small portion that is. If you go out to the LACMA, maybe ten percent of their collection is out. Maybe it's five percent even. Yeah. Now they rotate it. Now, here's the difference at the museum of the archive and the collection. Mm. The collection is on display. The archive has the potential for display. However, they're both curated. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so the archive is, is, is and this is another lie I told myself, right? My mom's paper it's a lie she told herself as well. Mm-hmm. The four boxes I found under her bed that you saw in Less is now. Now, yeah. she told herself she had an archive of my memories, and an archive of my childhood, an archive of my elementary school paperwork. But if you're never going to bring it out, if there's never any utility to it, Mm. then it is just
1: a hoard. I can't believe you threw away all those original Joshua Fields
0: Milburn writings. Man, they'd be worth many, many $2 (laughs) bills today. (laughs) Actually they wouldn't. Who's gonna buy that? <laughs> just yeah, right, just a couple of two dollar bills. It reminds me of the time we were we were finishing up our Less Is Now tour back in twenty seventeen. Yeah. We went to fifty different cities. The last city was Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And um they one of my favorite things is metaphorically, but just literally, practically, we're walking through security there and as you, you sort of you take your belt off your shoes, all this other these things, right? And then you are very discombobulated. There's a sign. As soon as you get through security, there's a recombobulation area. <laughs> now, recombobulation is not a word. It didn't ever exist until the until TSA. Yeah. To, well, no. The planner <laughs> for that airport said, uh, "Hey, everyone feels discombobulated. Let me create a space where we can recombobulate everyone." And uh, but it reminds me as we are going through security, and then these people were were out there, and they were they had. Big glossy pictures of us to sign. Oh yeah, they've been waiting there for many hours mm-hmm. as we were, you know, coming through the gates there. And oh, you're the minimalist. Can you sign these? And I did. And of course, they end up on eBay later. The only reason I know that is someone tweets me and they're like, "Hey, look, someone's selling your autograph for sixty dollars on yeah. eBay or a hundred dollar, whatever, whatever it, was. it is." Yeah, and I'm like, "Hey, man, best of luck with that." Yeah, because yeah. if you're selling autographs from the minimalist, I don't know that anyone's go. I mean people who are who are devoted to this understand the the dropping of the things yeah I feel so 50 50 about it because about which which part
1: oh I'm sorry about the people who were selling our our autographs like first off they were so kind sure they were like unbelievably nice people that's why I did it Mm -hmm. but they but I really felt like a genuineness coming from them both um but a piece of me is like, oh, now I'm encouraging them mm. to like do this, you know, like I'm I'm literally partaking in their their business of selling things that people can collect. But then the other piece of me is like, well, this maybe this is all they do for a living, and like this is what they really enjoy doing. Maybe they love doing this, like having this experience of meeting, you know, people that they look up to or that they know other people look up to, and 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 having that genuine interaction and getting them to sign things and mm-hmm. and it turns out they can make a little money from it, you know.
0: Yeah, it's so different from baseball bar baseball card collecting. And if you collect mm-hmm. baseball cards of players that you admire, how is that different from collecting autographed photographs? Uh, I mean, literally baseball cards are photographs and you can have them autographed if you want. Yeah. They tend to go up in value, there are exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. And and so Yes, one is a collection, the other can be a collection, or both, more than likely, in the wrong hands, are almost always just hordes. Yeah, Yeah. We'll put a link to that article in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. Ryan, we were flying back from Nashville, and... The Olympics were on the screen. Oh, my goodness. On the way there, we got to see the United States lose in basketball to France. <laughs> I was torn on that because, um, yeah, I guess, you know, there's we are in America, so hooray, USA, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But also my favorite team is the Utah Jazz, and Rudy Gobert is on the Utah Jazz, and he's the most famous French player. right. And so I'm like, wait a minute. Who do I want to win here? I want both teams to win. Right. Uh, and But then you, you made this great observation as we were flying back, and it was like swimming. And there was like 60 seconds of swimming, and then what happens? Yeah, 60 seconds of swimming,
1: and then like 180 seconds of commercials. It was miserable. Like watching the Olympics was a miserable experience. and, and because Not of, because of the Olympics. No, it was because of the commodification of it. Yeah. And, isn't and, and what, what really frustrates me is that they don't get paid for it. The, the, the swimmers don't get any of that advertisement money. Like, they're just doing something they really, really love, like mm-hmm. putting their whole heart out there. I wonder if there's, like, a channel that just has Olympics without all the ads. I'm going to Google that when I get a chance. But anyway. It's called Twitter. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. You were going to say something.
0: Well, no, it's just that I think you hit the nail on the head. The, the commodification piece of it, mm. it ruins so much. I mean, the... I, we could even make the argument that the competition ruins the thing as well. The people who aren't competing but are just performing. Um, I hate that I care how many medals the U.S. has.
1: Yeah. where more they in the standings. I'm like, why does that even matter? It, USA! Right. USA! I mean, I love the construct of the United States of America. Don't get me wrong. But there's something deeper there that, um, that I'm just trying to look at.
0: You a know? sense of belonging. Yeah. I, 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 we all want to belong to something. It's the reason we root for a team with people we we show up at you know synergy stadium in cincinnati and root for the bingles it's still synergy i have no idea i don't know, dude. Uh, duke energy something something like uh, that this podcast is brought to you by duke energy <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it's a very specific sponsor <laughs> yeah it yeah. goes 14 dollars
1: it's almost as specific
0: as baja blast yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was good yeah but imagine if every 60 seconds in this podcast which there's not been a single advertisement there still hasn't been Mm -hmm. there's been two joke advertisements now right Um, exactly yeah but imagine if every 60 seconds we just cut away i mean some of my favorite podcasts i think about andrew schultz and they just cut away in the middle of it and it's and it's nonsense man oh it really is i don't understand because all i do is skip through them like, why are
1: advertise? It must be working. That's why people are making so much money on ads. But, like, I don't... I guess I mean, so. I don't really hear... A lot
0: of the ads I don't hear. because Yeah, it's not like terrestrial on. radio where... You have to. Or, like, yeah. the Olympics. Yeah. Like, you have to watch the ad. Right. Yeah. Especially because it's so time-sensitive. I come back and, and they've already won the race or whatever. I can't... Mm-hmm. It's, it's over, right? Yeah. And, um... And so that's the thing about live events in a way. They can pepper in all of these hideous, hideous advertisements. But you're right. It ruins the beauty of it. It ruins the magic of it. It ruins the experience of it. Mm. Thanks, advertisers. (laughs) You suck. (laughs) I do want to say thanks real quick in the middle of this before we get into these surprise questions thanks to the Patreon supporters. (laughs) I was going to say this episode is brought to you by our patrons. Indeed. And Um, so this is not an advertisement. You're already on Patreon. Right. Thank you for that. Uh, By the way, we did come out. So if you want to save some money on your Patreon subscription, there's a way for you to do that. You can switch to annual billing if you'd like Mm -hmm. to do that. We've had a ton of people switch over to that. It saves you you 10%. So if that's something you want to do, no pressure to do it. In fact, it costs me money by saying this. So Mm -hmm. this is a reverse ad in a way. Um, (laughs) Right. Yeah. If you want to save money uh uh, and and not buy anything different than what you're already getting it doesn't change what your your subscription is obviously it just saves you a little bit of money uh if you want to do the annual thing
1: oh i had someone reach out on community the other day and they were like would you can you know would you consider uh lowering the price of your you know patrons for someone who's in debt and my answer was really like hey like i mean this with all the love in my heart like Mm -hmm. if you if you're in debt you should cut out as many once as possible. There's a free version. I find a lot of value over on the free version. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, but the answer really is like, well, you, we have an annual subscription. You could, that, There's a 10% discount right there.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to judge you for being in debt. No, um, of course not. I, I would encourage you uh, to understand that you know, I, I wouldn't go into more debt to you know, buy the minimalist podcast or whatever, right? Yeah. Hopefully this is saving you money in a bunch of other ways yeah. through what we're doing to help you offset some of the items. And in mm-hmm. fact, um, I think that that leads us into Peter's question here and it'll allow us to integrate my answer. I was getting ready to say with what, what they have to say. Dude, let's integrate. How do I determine the line between holding onto things to sell versus donating them? I owned those hundreds of thousands of items that every one of you owns, most of you own. Many of you have downsized significantly, and I get your testimonies all the time, and it's truly beautiful. And yet, here's what I'll say to PETA. There's a lot of things in your house that you can sell right now. Mm -hmm. However, that can become overwhelming, because I'm not saying sell everything. Right. Right. And so we have a very simple equation, a boundary, one might say, yeah. to get there, right? Uh, there's this essay on our website, very short, called How to Let Go of Possessions. Yeah. Because our possessions possess us, right? And I'm not reading it verbatim, but basically it goes like something like this If you, if something is a burden to you, you want to let it go. Mm hmm. Now I, I have a line of demarcation. For me now it's a hundred bucks. When I was decluttering, it was twenty bucks. Yes. When I was in debt it was twenty bucks. Yes. And that line could have been somewhere else. It could have been ten bucks. could have been five bucks. Right. It was worth it to me if I thought I could make at least twenty dollars for it to try to sell it. Yep. So list it. If it doesn't sell in a week, lower the price. Oh, you know what? This widget was thirty dollars. It's 20 bucks now, right? Yeah. Now, if it was 30 bucks, I'm like, ah, it's not even going to sell for 10. Okay. I'm going to move on without that. Okay. Lower the price after a week. If it doesn't sell in 30 days, that gives me a sales deadline. Mm-hmm. Then I donate it. Yeah. If I can't donate, no donation place will take it. Okay. Then I recycle it. Mm-hmm. If it's not recyclable, then as a last resort, I'll throw it in the trash. But mm-hmm. that is a last resort. And so, thankfully, when I've gotten reports from thousands of listeners at this point, is, hey, I've made so much money from listening to the Minimalist podcast. (laughs) You should see my eBay. They're sending me screenshots of their eBay. Oh wow! Look, I made $1,600 this month just because I set a deadline. I'm going to sell all of these things within 30 days. Seven days, I lowered the price. Just get it out of the house. Sell it because that money is worth so much more to you than those things. In fact, those things are worthless to you now. Mm-hmm. You've determined those things are worthless to you. And so letting go of them, but also making some money along the way. It's so funny. We were uh, talking to Dave Ramsey about this. They are simplifying their life as they sold their house, right? Mm-hmm. I was talking to his wife, Sharon, and she was like, oh yeah, I, I got, after I watched your documentary, I got rid of some of these dresses. She was like, yeah, don't get mad at me. I sold them for money. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I would have done. Right. Yeah. Why would I get mad at you? That's exact. And she's like, "Yeah, it was just it was freeing to let go of them, but I didn't want to. Just, I mean, they were kind of expensive, and I didn't make all my money back on them. Right. She got something. Yeah. She but she's like, but I got something.' I'm Like that's wonderful. Yeah. Totally.
1: No, it, I, I love that process. It's very, and and I'd say if you follow that process, it's it's you'd be surprising how little of it actually ends up like in a landfill.
0: That's right. Yeah. Some of it will inevitably, sure. but if you follow that process. It's so much better than renting a dumpster and throwing everything in it. Mm -hmm. And it's also, you know what? It's so much better than trying to sell everything. Mm. Because then you get overwhelmed. The paralysis, uh, analysis, paralysis, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And when you get to that point, you just throw your hands up. Screw it. And you don't even get rid of it. You you push it farther back into the closet, farther into the basement, whatever it might be. Yeah. Let's move on to a question from Katarina.
1: How do you maintain minimalism in your kitchen, specifically the kitchen cupboards, fridge,
0: freezer? I'm going to start in none of those places. <laughs> I'm going to start with flat surfaces. Ooh. So it's important to me that we have as few things as possible on our flat surfaces. Mm. Well, why is this? Because flat surfaces are the easiest place for us to just simply store things. <laughs> Yeah, it's real easy. I'll oh, just throw my junk mail right there on the counter. And then it piles up. Yeah. And having all of these accoutrements all over the counter, it piles up. Mm-hmm. And so I have a coffee maker there. I have a coffee grinder. I have the things that I use every day. We also bought an air fryer last year during the pandemic because mm-hmm. we started cooking even more at home than usual. And I wanted mm-hmm. alternate ways to make um, some different things, and so it's mainly our sweet potato maker, but it, is, it will serve a purpose in other ways. These are things I use daily or almost daily, certainly weekly. Mm-hmm. And and even then, if there was a place in my cabinets for the air fryer, I would put it down there as well. I just mm-hmm. have a very, very small kitchen. Those of you who have seen my home tour, or actually, if you just saw lesses now, you saw me and Ella and Bex in the kitchen, which is, for some reason... It's the smallest area of our entire house. Yeah, yeah. And that's why this question is so appealing to me because because it's the smallest area in our house. It's almost... We don't live in a tiny house, but we have a tiny kitchen. <laughs> uh, and, and so like it feels like we live in a tiny house whenever we... Because as soon as I go in the kitchen, Murphy's Law dictates that Bex and Ella follow me into the kitchen and stand wherever I need to be. They just love being around you. Amen. I'll tell you, my cousin has a tiny house. His kitchen is bigger than yours. (laughs) (laughs) How great is that? So, uh, I will tell you this. Um, I own quite a few things that are dual-purpose Tri-purpose, quad-purpose, mm-hmm. quint-purpose. Mm. Correct me on that podcast, Sean. <laughs> uh, sext-purpose. Not sex-purpose, Sean. Calm down. <laughs> He's getting out of control over there. <laughs>
1: he got that look in his
0: eyes. My sex toys are in the closet. Uh, Not in the kitchen. Not in the kitchen, thank God. I do have a bottle of lube in the kitchen, but that's a different story. <laughs> just imagining what sex toys would double as a kitchen utensil <laughs> <laughs> and a sex toy. Yeah, this Hitachi Magic Wand yeah. is also a potato masher. Um,
1: yeah, just don't eat the Josh's if he cooks <laughs> food for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't trust the potatoes at least. Oh, man. Anyway, so I have a lot of things that are multi-purpose, and also I vigorously, rigorously, apply the seasonality rule to the kitchen mm-hmm. if i have not used something in 90 days it has. in fact i just got rid of some so that that air fryer that we i mentioned mm-hmm. it had this like chicken rotisserie thing mm. which sounds great aspirationally yeah i'm not gonna make rotisserie chicken at home <laughs> <laughs> and do you know how i know that because I've never made rotisserie chicken at home. You I leave think the, I did once when I was 23. You leave the, that up to the Colonel. <laughs> 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 no dude like how easy
1: is it to get a rotisserie chicken too like especially your air one or whole foods i mean it's pretty yes. simple to get yeah, with, yeah. A-
0: anywhere if you want a rotisserie chicken mm. you you can get one and i get i by the way i got a rotisserie chicken maker it was the only thing it did as a wedding gift when i was 22 23 oh wow and we used it once and then it sat on a counter for seven years mm. because i had none of these boundaries right. available to me yeah. and eventually i remember looking at carrie and i was like hey, we don't ever use this, do we? She's like, no, but, you know, like, we might want to use it yeah. someday. I'm like, Cousin John got it for us. We got to yeah. keep it, yeah. And, oh, yeah, we might want to use it. It's back to those narratives we were telling ourselves. That it's practically brand new. Well, it's practically brand new because we never freaking use the thing. <laughs> That's the only reason it's practically brand new. Yeah. And so, yes, your kitchen probably is a key... Place in your home in which you can hide clutter. Well, why? Because there's a lot of drawers, a lot of cabinets, a lot of extra space. Even in my little kitchen, we have a lot of things in cabinets and drawers. Now, I keep things ordinal and and organized in there, but I'm constantly using that seasonality rule. By the way, if you want the seasonality rule, it's in Love People Use Things. I'll hold it up if you're watching the video version here, or you can download the free version of the. 16 rules for living with less it's called the minimalist rulebook the minimalists.com slash rulebook there's also an audiobook version of that over there as well what are the things do I do in my kitchen that are interesting that I think are worth mentioning here so you mentioned the cupboard you mentioned the fridge you mentioned the freezer right well these are all areas that we sort of because there's a door, it's a place that we hide our things. Mm. And even though we see it every day, we open the fridge every day or 10 sure. times a day or 40 times a day, however many times we're going over there staring at the fridge, expecting a different result, by the way. Oh, look, all the same nonsense that's in there. From, oh, look, ketchup. Mm. Right. We open up the fridge, Ooh. and yet all of the condiments. And I got to tell you, I know you will resonate with this because you're the sauce king. Yes. And back. call me captain sauce. Oh, okay. Well, well. <laughs> bex is your co-captain apparently because the thing and the weird thing is like we have all these condiments and they tend to expire and so i'm the one who's i'm just constantly every week just looking at expiration dates oh yeah and as soon as something expires that's a boundary it's gone yeah guess what i'm not doing i'm not donating i'm not trying to sell it (laughs) i know that it has to go right and so, creating these boundaries are so important. And when I look around at all of the kitchen utensils, if it's not, if I haven't used it in 90 days, it's gone. If I know I'm not going to use it in the next 90 days, it is gone. Yeah. I mean, any of these
1: boundaries, like my boundaries are, uh, I mean, a lot looser than yours. But, you know, with Mariah and I, w- we look at the space we have and how does that space feel? It's like, do, I don't mind having, you know, my kettle on top of the counter and I have a a coffee grinder on top of the counter. Um, But there are things that like, I don't want to look at every single day. So then I put them in the cupboards. Right. And then I just kind of, you know, analyze like, okay, what, uh, what, what is, what is nagging at me? And if nothing's nagging at me, then I don't feel compelled to go into my kitchen and start decluttering. Uh But obviously this person, this uh, Katrina, it it is, it is Nat or Katarina. Sorry. It's nagging at her. So that's where these boundaries have to come into play.
0: Yeah. What's bothering you about your kitchen? Yeah. That's the reason you want to simplify. (laughs) Not because you don't simply want to tidy up. Mm -hmm. You want to relieve the burden that you're experiencing. And the only way we do that is by letting go. What do you have in your life that you don't want, (laughs) that you wish you didn't have? You can start
1: in your kitchen with that, Katerina. Yeah.
0: Uh, question here from Nicola.
1: All right, Nicola. What if your spouse is not on board with minimalism and it causes conflict? The the first thing that comes to mind for Nicola's question is the acronym that we use, Terra. Mm -hmm. So it stands for tolerate, accept, respect, appreciate. And this is kind of Josh and I's way of helping people with any tumultuous relationship, not just with, you know, Uh, couples who one's a minimalist and one is not a minimalist. This is with friends, family, anyone that you care deeply about in your life that you want to have a good relationship. This acronym is going to help you so much. So the first step is tolerate. It's a pretty weak virtue, right? When you're out in traffic, especially in LA, someone cuts me off. It's like, I want to get mad. I want to honk my horn and, you know, give them a a specific gesture. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I tell myself like, dude, it's LA. Like it's a lot of people I, this person, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're, you know, maybe their wife's given birth right now in the passenger seat. There's something going, Like I try to give them the benefit of the doubt. And what that does is it helps me tolerate that person. So I'm not going to be friends with that person. I'm not going to go out of my way to hang out with them, but I will tolerate their actions. Accepting. Well, actually what I just said about that, that thought process I go through, it helps me get to acceptance because mm. I remember when I first moved to Los Angeles, I tried to follow all the traffic laws. I'm like, I'm not going to run red lights. I'm not going to do illegal U-turns. I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to be, because in Missoula, it's like, it's pretty easy to follow all the traffic laws. But what I realized was that in LA, if you follow the traffic laws, you actually impede traffic. You're actually hurting. You're not, you know, it's me virtue signaling. I will not run this red light Well, I'm screwing up the rest of the traffic Uh in in certain cases. So I've accepted the circumstances that I'm in Mm -hmm. and uh, I've moved on from there. Respect I guess let's keep going with the traffic thing like I respect the fact that there are 20 or yeah, 12 million people in LA County Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people and like we're all trying to live our lives. We're all we all have friends and family We love we're all trying to get a good meal. We're all trying to you know, be happy We're all trying to find our way for joy And I can respect the fact that really all of us on on a very deep level All pretty much want the same things now some people go about it differently uh, I feel like there's a lot of entitlement, especially when it comes to driving. Although I'll tell you, I got hit, but there was this guy who hit me. I think it was a Mustang or no, it was a Dodge Charger, whatever it was. It was like one of those, like, you know, kind of middle, middle range, uh, fast sports,
0: fancy, la- fast cars.
1: Yeah. Fa- fancy, loud cars. Yeah. The fast and furious kind. Uh-huh. And it was real loud. Was it Vin Diesel? <laughs> I wish
0: <laughs> I would have just thought, I
1: would just be like, just keep on going, man. I'll take care of this. So, this this guy was weaving in and out of traffic, uh-huh. and my instinct was like, oh, this guy's a jerk, he's probably a douchebag, and like, you know, like all these insults start popping up in my head, and I start judging this person about what they're doing, and then uh, I didn't really pay him much attention, uh, I went to go, I, I was, <clears throat> I changed the lane, and right after I changed the lane, he changed the lane, and like basically ran right into my back bumper, because he just wasn't paying attention wasn't a good driver uh long story short he got out of it we pulled over got out of the car he was like the nicest most calm person and he was like oh i'm so sorry like is your wife okay and he goes over to mariah honey are you okay i'm so he's like this car it's so because i was like oh this is a nice car he's like oh he's like if you had to drive this car He's like, you would hate it. He's like, I, I bought this car because I thought it was gonna like, you know, be cool, make me happy. You know, he's telling me why. He's like, but I hate driving this car. It's, and he goes, in LA, he's like, traffic is so stressful, man. He's like, it stresses me out so bad to be in traffic in LA. And I, it helped me just respect that person a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And uh, just look at him. And then now I'm at a point, which is the last letter in the acronym is appreciate. Mm-hmm. I can actually appreciate uh, again, going with the traffic, the way Los Angeles is like, there is a way that LA has to be in order for it to function with 12 million people in its County. Mm-hmm. So I, I have gotten to a level of appreciation. So you can do this with other people. You don't have to do this with with a city and a traffic. Like I, that's just the most benign example I could think of. Right. But if you have a, a person in your life that you're having a hard time getting with, just start with tolerance and then how, how can you start to accept them for who they are? How can you even go out of your way to show respect and maybe just maybe you can even appreciate who they are as a person? So this isn't about making your spouse a minimalist. Right. This is about loving them. And if you use that acronym Tara, like you can get you. That's how you show someone that you love them.
0: One of the problems is you want your spouse to be a minimalist. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And so step one: stop wanting to change someone. <laughs> right. And and so one of the things that we often do when we want that. Is we try to, how do we try to change? And we convince them that my point of view is either better or maybe it's just right. Mm -hmm. And that's when the self-righteousness comes in. And what you're talking about, this Tara, is the antidote to self-righteousness. Ooh, yeah. Because you're tolerating them. That's a decent first step. It's not going to get you very far. Tolerance doesn't do much for you, right? Right. It it helps you. Go on your day without losing your mind. Yes. (laughs) If you stay stuck in tolerance, you're going to be miserable, though. That's why you have to transcend that and eventually get to the appreciation. Now, you can do that with traffic. You can do that with your partner. But more importantly, you can do that with their hoard, right? right. Earlier in this maximal episode, we were talking about hoarding versus archiving versus collecting and Mm -hmm. how most collecting is well-planned hoarding. And yet... We also talked about how my hoard could be a collection for someone else mm-hmm. and by letting go. But the opposite is also true. Just because you view your partner's things as a hoard because you don't see them as particularly useful to you, well, that doesn't mean they're not useful or beautiful or awe-inspiring or augmenting or amplifying or life-enhancing to your significant other. Mm. And when we can respect that, then we can start respecting the individual things. It's like a guitar. If you, if Mariah had a guitar and you didn't play guitar, you wouldn't say, "Well, that's stupid. Why do you play guitar? That's the wrong thing to do." Mm-hmm. You could actually appreciate that pretty quickly. Yeah, it's harder when it becomes a when it's a figurine or a. a sewing kit or a dress collection or whatever it might be it becomes more difficult Mm -hmm. now fundamentally i will say this you and your partner have different preferences now that's an obvious statement that's true with everyone even bex and i who are so similar Mm -hmm. in terms of our personalities we have different preferences we have different ideas of what tidy is even and that's okay now we've set up some boundaries in our own home. We don't bring any. We've agreed together. This is not my rule. It's not her rule. We came up with this together. Mm-hmm. We've agreed we don't bring anything new into our home unless we've both said we're going to bring it into the home. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. We've also agreed we're not going to get rid of each other's items. We, I can get rid of all of my own th- things. I can get down buck naked and own zero items, and she'll be fine with that. Yeah. Well, she might not be okay if I'm just. Yeah, that's, that's the <laughs> other side of the insanity <laughs> thing that you right. were talking about earlier. Mm. But I could get down to owning functionally nothing. Sure. She'd be fine with that. Yeah. But it's not about me then determining she needs to live and our daughter Ella needs to live with functionally nothing. Right. I can tend to my own garden. Mm-hmm. And maybe if that garden is beautiful and fruitful enough, she's going to do something similar with her garden as well. Yeah, absolutely. What by else the we way, here? by by the way, uh, Nicola, you can find that Terra acronym in love. People use things, uh, and there's a whole story in here about how you can begin to tolerate your spouse's stuff, uh, their collection, and maybe even their hoard. So we talk a bit about that. Recognizing yeah. you have different preferences, as long as you have similar values. You'll be able to work that acronym together. Now, if your values are different, you want to get clear on your values. There's a values worksheet in the back of the book as well.
1: Man, talking about our book, it like really, I have to bring myself back to that Orlando meetup. We did the very first Orlando meetup we
0: did. And there was like, you know, it was the couch surfers that were there. Yeah, I think it was our our fourth tour stop or second tour stop ever. Second tour stop. Yeah,
1: and... I just felt I I didn't want to sell my book, right? I'm like one of the minimalists. Like I can't sell my book, right? There was there was something that was like blocking me up with that. Mm-hmm. And so I was always like really trepidatious with um talking about the book because I don't want to feel like I'm just trying to sell someone something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um but one of the uh one of the men that w- that were there, he's like, Hey man, do you really believe in what you guys wrote? And I'm like, Yeah, he's like, Do you think it's actually gonna like help people? I'm like, Yeah, of course. He's like, Then be proud of what you wrote, man. And he's like, There's no shame. And like trying to share something with someone. There's a monetary barrier. A barrier? That's okay.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: So, uh, but it's funny because like I still have to remind myself of that. Because we talk about our books
0: so much. But like, dude, this might be the best thing we've ever written, man. And it's three years of, of you know, pouring our guts onto a page. Mm-hmm. Not knowing if it's going to work. Because I wrote about this toward the end. It's like there were four false starts with with the next book, whatever it was going to be. And mm-hmm. so we finally figured out the path that we wanted to take with this book. And it wasn't a traditional relationship book. It was a relationships book. Mm. And it was really a book about healing in a way. Yeah. And And so it's not about fixing yourself. You're not a machine. It's about healing. And what does healing do? It does leave behind scars. Those scars are some phenomenal stories. And you get to see some of our scars in fact you get to see the open wounds before they turned into healing for us in in that book yeah i'm glad you brought that up let's see let's pick one more question here that we can dive into Mm. Uh, we answered nadine's question maybe no we didn't and i think this one is applicable since we're hopefully coming out of a pandemic okay nadine yeah at the top oh yes (laughs)
1: Uh, It took me a second to find it. How did you maintain minimalism throughout the global pandemic lockdown? I was so close to reaching my goals, but spending so much time at home the past 16 months without adding more stuff has been a
0: challenge. Let's talk about why it's a challenge. It's a challenge Mm. because we've removed all the friction from our lives, and this was especially true during the pandemic. We thought, well, the, the malls are closed, so shopping must be more difficult. But no, and now we just, that was another layer of friction. We didn't realize it because mm-hmm. you, know, if you go to some European cities, they don't have 24 hour stores that you can just walk into right. and buy whatever you want. But now it's like we have 24 hour store right there in our living room, on our phone, on our laptop, on our iPad, whatever. It's just right there all the time. Mm-hmm. One click access to whatever you think you want. Not whatever you want, but whatever you think you want. Mm-hmm. And, Yes, you're right. It's dangerous. In fact, that word essential has come up a lot, right? Ryan and I have been dealing with this for the last 10 years, 10 plus years. What is essential? Now you hear essential travel, essential business, essential workers. How offensive is that, by the way? Right. It's telling people they're non-essential? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Hmm. And yet... This like is Why am I even
1: working then if I'm non-essential? Yes. Yeah.
0: And oh, but what are you saying? I'm non-essential as a human being. No, yeah. every human being is essential. Mm. And that's actually the problem mm-hmm. is we don't realize that we're essential. So we buy all these things that we think will make us more complete. If I'm complete, then I will be essential. And so for the first time in a long time, people spent a lot of time in their homes and they were looking around at all of these things that masqueraded as essential or as value adding. And it turns out most of it was junk and it was getting in the way, not just of their things, of their home, of their walkway, of whatever else, of their kitchen counter. It was getting in the way of their contentment. Mm. And so the pandemic was a phenomenal time to let go for many people. Yeah, And so I know Nadine, your experience was a bit different, that maybe it was more difficult for you. But for a lot of people, it's when we're steeped in the stuff, we begin to experience the suffering. And that suffering leads to an internal change in us. Mm-hmm. We under, have a deeper understanding of why we want to let go. And as soon as we have that understanding, then, yeah, the boundaries, the how-tos, all that stuff can be helpful for the mechanics of it. Yeah. But only really when you have that deep understanding.
1: Yeah. Man, uh, Two things that come to mind for me is first and foremost, the you know, the boundaries, the rules that Mariah and I have, you know, we didn't know we were planning for a pandemic, but it turns out <laughs> living a minimalist lifestyle, we were planning for a pandemic. Yeah. So when it hit, uh, I mean, obviously like there were some weird food things and toilet paper things, but you know, for 99% of the stuff that we had, like we had everything that we already needed. We already had things that were important to us that helped us. Uh, live the lives that we wanted to live, that augmented our lives the way we wanted our lives to be augmented. So um, it's it's the boundaries, Nadine. Like that's how she's like. How did you maintain minimalism throughout the global pandemic lockdown? It's because I had boundaries that I was working. Uh, Mariah had boundaries; she was working, and then when it got to the pandemic, we kept those
0: boundaries. Let me even add on to that, Ryan, because maintaining minimalism is almost a fallacy. It's, it's a logical fallacy mm. because minimalism is not the destination. Right, right. And, and so I think quite often what, what we can get confused with is saying, oh, you know what? If I end up at minimalism, but then there is a pandemic, Well, minimalism is not a place where you end up. Mm-hmm. It is a tool, right? And so maybe the question w- what you're saying here is how do I maintain my tools? Mm. And that's, that's useful. I think about podcast Sean, who is um, very particular with the way that he organizes our tools that we use, from our microphones, to our mixing board, to all of the audio equipment, computer. I mean, yeah. he does a pristine job. He does not play around. No, and he <laughs> uses his tools in a way. And I was talking to him about this last week, and I, I t- this totally resonates with me because you know I'm a fan of ironing.
1: Um not irony but actual ironing.
0: <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. Like, you know, ironing board and Yeah. um yeah. getting the shirt on there and, mm-hmm. and ironing out all of my discontent. Do, I remember
1: you telling me about your first memory or not your first memory but your memory of uh the 9/11 attacks like when you first heard the news. Yes. You were ironing wait for it,
0: my boxers. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Now, I don't wear boxers anymore because oh. I'm a grown man. I was mm. Uh, well, I guess I was 20 at the time yeah. uh, during the uh, 9-11. And yeah, I was getting ready for a work shift. Yeah, I had a mid-shift that day. I was supposed to be in at 11. And so I was like ironing my clothes. And I was like, oh, my boxers look a little wrinkled. So I'm ironing the boxers. Mm-hmm. And, well, this is Patreon. So I could tell the story. I usually leave this detail out. <laughs> so this is a, a hideous detail. <laughs> I don't know if I've, I've probably told you at some point. So I get a call from Carrie who... Um, uh, wasn't my wife, but she was my girlfriend at the time, and she she had already gone in. She was still in school, becoming she was in like her last year of school to become a teacher, and so she was. I think driving to school, and she had heard on the radio about mm. she calls me turn on the TV. Someone has hit one of the twin towers, mm. or there's a missile or something going on. We didn't know what it was at the time, so I turned yeah. it on, and it was so mesmerized I forgot the iron was there. And so I'm ironing my boxers. I totally burned my dick. <laughs> I think, yeah, you did tell With me this. The, I still have a scar. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you have like a scar to remember? 9-11. Oh, I my I call goodness. it my 9-11 scar. <laughs> oh, my god, And I'll never yeah. forget. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, man, uh, before we that's wrap. That's a Patreon exclusive. That re- that's pretty awesome, man. That's pretty
1: <laughs> awesome. That's an awesome little detail. I totally forgot about that. One thing I do want to point out Nadine's question is she talks about she says the the word goals I was so close to reaching my goals and like look goals there's nothing actually just anything Josh and I ever say take the good and the bad out of it take the right and the wrong just look at it for what it is Mm -hmm. so goals look at look at goals for what they are what are they doing for you exactly so goals are not you know inherently right or wrong the question is is what are they doing for you and how are they affecting your life? So right now, Nadine is beating herself up because she didn't reach her goals. Mm-hmm. What if you didn't have goals? Well, wouldn't, now you got, wouldn't have an excuse to beat yourself up. I you have nothing to beat yourself up over. So I'm not saying that your goals are appropriate appropriate or inappropriate right now, Nadine, but I, what I am questioning is, is, can you let go of those goals? Would that make you feel better?
0: Yes. Yeah. Now, Ryan, we got one more question here All from right. Melanie. You said it was a the cutest question, so I thought oh, we, it couldn't, is. we couldn't <laughs> leave this one out.
1: It made me feel like... Uh, how Elizabeth's question on the, on the Minimal episode about the, the books or her friends uh-huh. made me kind of feel that same way. Melanie wrote in, how do you declutter cuddly toys when sentimentality gets in the way since they look like they have little personalities? All right, she just said personalities, <laughs> but I added little in there, when in fact they're just fabric with plastic eyes yes Uh,
0: and by the way so so the word is anthropomorphizing Mm -hmm. it just means that we give human characteristics or human qualities human sentiment Mm
1: -hmm. you could do that with anything you do it with an idea yes i could do it
0: with this glass yes yeah but melanie she pointed out something that is rather true it's easier to do that when a being or something that purports to be a bean is more human-like mm-hmm. and so the big human-like eyes that are on a teddy bear bears don't have human-esque eyes yeah right but when you start putting human-like features into these stuffed animals mm-hmm. i almost said human-like features into these creatures but i didn't want to rhyme it so i didn't <laughs> <laughs> we're wrapping over here yeah so here, here's here's the thing though. i totally get this because yeah. my daughter she often tells me she her favorite stuffed animal is this little stuffed animal called Wolfie because she has no imagination, and so they all are just named after what they are. Yeah, I
1: always ask her if it's an elephant. It's, no, it, she, like, looks at me and <laughs> <laughs> looks at the toy. It's a
0: wolf. I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure it's an elephant.
1: <laughs> it's not an elephant!
0: <laughs> yeah, because if it was an elephant, his name would be Ellie or something. Um, no, uh, I did the same thing. I had a red fish when I was a kid named Reddy. Mm, yeah we spelled r e a d y but still um yeah hamster was name was uh hamsty and oh wow yeah uh, sh- i shit you not we had a dog named dog no way dude yes dude
1: well you know it's funny the first time i ever had to name anything was my dad brought home a great dane and he was like i want you to name it and the first thing that i thought of was spike but it was because I was, you know, three years old uh-huh. and Bugs Bunny cartoons had that dog on there or maybe it was Tom and Jerry, but like it was some, you know, cartoon dogs were always named Spike. Right. Yeah. And uh, my dad was like, no, we got to name something different. <laughs> and then, anyway, I'm sorry. I mean, it's still your son under there, but no. yeah,
0: it, you're right. Kids just, they, it, whatever is the easiest thing to name it, that's what they name it. Right. And, um, and then you name it, you're additionally anthropomorphizing the item. Yeah. We do this sometimes. I, I dated a girl once who named her car. Oh, yeah. And what we do is we we're inadvertently creating these additional tethers to mm-hmm. our things. Yeah. Now, and this isn't right or wrong again. No. Like this is just it just is. This is what we do. Yeah, tethers make it more difficult to let go of a thing by definition. Mm-hmm. If you tether yourself to something, it's harder to let go, right? Yeah. That's also not bad because what if I want to be tethered to something? Yeah.
1: For- Here's a patron special. Mariah is reading a book, and it suggests that you name your genitals.
0: Like, it goes out of your way for you to name your
1: genitals. Whether you're male or female, you name your genitals. Guess what? I want to be tethered to my genitals.
0: <laughs> calling my balls lefty and righty. <laughs> right. Ballsy. Anyway. <laughs> so, oh, uh, she... Melanie, I, I see this with Ella, and she certainly ex- experiences. In fact, she gets confused, and she says, Yeah, okay, like, I, I know we don't love our things, but... Wolfie's not really a thing. And I try to explain Mm to her, well, you're actually anthropomorphizing Ella. And she goes, and she says, well, I'm eight. Sometimes she'll look at me, just blank. And she goes, she'll look at her mom and say, I don't know what he's saying. Right. Yeah. And I get it. She doesn't know what I'm saying because, Mm -hmm. um, so let me, let me talk to you the same way I would talk to my daughter, not because it's patronizing, but because I want to add some clarity to this. Mm. And what I tell, tell Ella is, Hey, it's fine to enjoy. Your stuffed animals. Yeah, if you're talking about the sentimentality that you've attached to a thing, mm-hmm. what you're saying is now I'm I'm holding on to the past. Yeah, and in the minimal episode we talked about the dangers of holding on to the past. It prevents us from actually being free, mm-hmm. happy, content. Mm-hmm. Now, why does it do that? Because as we hold on to the past, it stays fixed. We stay in a fixed state. Well, how does one be happy? As Confucius says, we have to change. Mm. If we don't change, then we stay the same. If we stay the same, then we stay stuck in that bourbon room mm-hmm. for decades.
1: And we never want to leave because we're just trying to recreate that experience <laughs> over and over and over and over.
0: And you're you're sending yourself through hell in doing that. Yeah. And yeah. so once you have an understanding of that, the sentimentality, which literally means excessive sentiment. Mm-hmm excess means what well you i want to excise the excess Mm. and and so when you think about the excess the sentimentality is making you miserable
1: Mm. yeah
0: it's not the good thing it's not the virtuous thing that you thought it was Mm -hmm. in fact it's preventing you from being free. That's fine if you don't want to be free. There are plenty of people who don't. It's evidenced all around
1: yeah, us. Or they or they're willing to risk it. Yes. They 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 they're willing to risk the suffering mm-hmm. for that attachment. Yes. And th- they ha- this there's no right or wrong here. Is that a, is Just, that
0: a cost you're willing to pay? Right,
1: exactly. And if and, it is
0: great. And if so, wonderful, but know the true cost. The true cost isn't not parting with sentimentality, Mm -hmm. the true cost is pain. Mm. It's a clinging. Mm. It's a void of happiness. Why? Not because the happiness has gone anywhere, but because you've covered it up Mm -hmm. with the excess.
1: Yeah. You know, the only thing I really want to tell Melanie here is like, I know there are some, if she finds this much enjoyment with her little cute, little, you know, cuddly stuffed personalities, it's a great stuffed toy. Name stuffed personalities. Anyway, um, there, there's going to be a kid out there who would love, who would really enjoy having a cute, cuddly little toy. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where you can find the leverage is you could pass on the enjoyment that you got out of those stuffed animals that it sounds like you're no longer getting the enjoyment from. Now there's a pain that's happening. You could pass that pain on to another child. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, patrons.
0: (laughs) All right, y'all. Love people use things. We'll see you next time. See ya.
1: The (laughs) minimalists.